So yesterday was interesting. I <laughs> was kind of out of it for the majority of the day, which was fine. I watched um, the biblical lecture part two on order and chaos, which was really informative. And I took some notes that I'm going to go over for the next 30 minutes. I'm just going to share some stories, but initially... I'm probably just going to start out with my day yesterday. Well, yeah, I, I literally did nothing. I'm honestly, like, so lonely. Like, I don't have a job. I don't, My only friend, that's a guy, is super entitled. And he's not in the right mentality that I could call him a good friend. Because... Like, I don't know why, he just wants me to pay for everything when we hang out. And that's just not what a good friend would do. A good friend would be fine with paying for themselves to hang out with you. It's like, you're both paying for each other's time. I'm not paying for your time. I'm not paying for you to hang out with me. And you're not paying for me to hang out with you. So, kind of works both ways. So yeah, he's super entitled. I think it's because he's kind of just been trapped in his house for the entire summer. Hasn't really gone out with anyone else other than me. Because he has no game with girls. So he's just sitting at home, like, playing Xbox or working at Amazon. Which I don't think there's, like, that many people his age that he can relate to. Or his, like, um, on-campus job where he just works with like Excel spreadsheets or something. So yeah, makes sense that he's kind of kind of paranoid and super annoyed with not with me not hanging out or not being able to hang out with like anyone that much over the summer. And yeah, there's there's always a few things that I wish I would have done over the summer, but just I've never got gone around to it for a few reasons. One, because I'd probably end up doing these things by myself alone, which is kind of lonely and boring. And if I'm not used to it, then it's it's definitely lonely and boring. But I guess there are some people who are really good at... Why does this only say left? Isn't it supposed to be left and right? So there's people who are good at... um, being interested in spending time alone with themselves, <laughs> which sounds really bad. It's not supposed to sound like that, but like when they do like meditation and stuff, so they get in the right mindset where they enjoy time alone from others, <laughs> and not not in any dirty way, but yeah, they just have that that like monk like mindset, which I think is super cool. And, yeah, I was thinking about, like, traveling somewhere for a few months. Maybe take another semester off of school. Because, like, I'm already learning so much more without school than with school. School can teach me things that I'll just have to end up memorizing for that semester. And then I'll forget it in, like, two years. But, like, I'm learning stuff now that's, like, applicable now and future and in the future, it's kind of like these timeless elements that I'm learning. So, super, super interesting. And 
a lot of it like is very applicable to like career career wise stuff and just developing skills that will help you in any career like good communication skills and morals that are really important like um really relationship building kind of things it's just a really basic generalization of what it is but yeah we're just going to we're going to go over my notes from yesterday i took a took the little elf trip just like last time a little a little trip from the elf the good thing about the elf is that kind of opens my perspective just like i said last time it like opens up my perspective to like new new ideas and i can see stuff in a different way than i than i saw them before so even if it's like a new video that i really haven't watched from like the same person that i've been studying i can get like very very like new and interesting ideas that i wouldn't have gotten otherwise so yeah and it makes it more interesting kind of it's like just as interesting but interesting in a different way okay so these biblical stories they're about human experience across time so you could say this is like an archetype because an archetype is just this like almost what is an archetype I don't, I don't want to get this wrong. I don't want to get this definition wrong. Define archetype. Okay, so an archetype is a typical example of a person or a thing. So that's kind of what an archetype is. It's just like common hu- human experience over time. And sometimes the things that you imagine with your imagination kind of like a dream where your ideas are more real than what you see just like how numbers are real numbers are this abstraction in your imagination that could be written out but sometimes the thing that they represent is more real sometimes the numbers that they represent are more real than the thing that they represent yes which is why some good fiction is sometimes more real than the stories that it comes from. You can see that in like Hamlet or any any other Shakespearean plays because they they really explain like human experience. And in the in the old Old Testament Genesis, it's really interesting that um, the light and darkness were given names day and night. And then God gives Adam the task of naming all the animals. And there's a there's a psychological reason for this, is because something doesn't really become real or doesn't exist in reality or actuality until you actually give it a name. So it's kind of like this idea of shining light on your problems through speech. There's like this old old story of Marduk um, defeating this like evil demon with his words and using his words to defeat this demon that's in front of him using his speech as a weapon to tackle the obstacles in front of him which is what i think like um almost like talking to a therapist would kind of do when you talk to a therapist you talk about your problems so you're speaking about them they move from this dreamlike state of this idea into this real actual world of something that you can 
plan to defeat with your words. So you bring it from the idea dreamlike state into actuality and reality so that you're more able to tackle the problem. Which is why I would recommend doing self-podcasting because super important helps you articulate ideas better, which I, I, I had a problem with. Okay, and the authors of the Bible, they were, they were thinking of a way to use our cognitive ability to, to cast out something of chaos into actuality and reality. So something like creation, so an object like like a tree or something. And then the idea that you would use your language to name that tree, to bring it out from, I don't know what this tree is, what is this tree? The tree is the unknown. And then you use your speech and cognitive ability to bring something that you don't know into reality. So you give it a name. So you give it a personality or some sort of trait that brings it into reality. So before it has a name, it's just in this blurry background. And then you give it a name and it transcends into a reality. Which is something that you get from Genesis, first Genesis in the Bible. Okay. And I think I think one of the really really interesting things with the the Bible and evolution is that the Bible has the old Old Testament has these really archaic stories like predating like history itself like coming from the human common ancestor which was probably something like a chimpanzee where this this monkey like thing split off into different branches of homo, homo sapiens. So we got the modern day homo, homo sapiens, and then we got the other versions of the ancient humans that weren't really conscious. And what the Bible teaches is this transition, and the, from these archaic stories, this transition from an unconscious animal to a conscious being who can use cognitive ability, such as speech, to bring stuff that they don't understand into reality. And it's probably one of the most archaic stories and books in the world because like they initially they weren't writing anything down. They weren't doing cave drawings, cave paintings, carvings, nothing of the sort. Their entire cultures were based orally from memory. They're passing generations and generations of stories on orally and from memory. And then eventually they use these stories and put them into writing, which is what we get from first Genesis. Oh yes. So the world that's being created in Gen Genesis, first Genesis is not the world that, that I imagined was being created in in my seminary class. So you have to you have to realize that the world that they're creating at that time was it was it was like a dome like 
like spherical um, world with a flat ground, flat earth, and surrounded by this ground that they're on is sea, the saltwater sea. And then you're, you're covered by this dome and on top of the dome is water because where does rain come from? Which is super interesting. And I thought it was just like the world that I saw in Google Images, like this spherical round world. But it actually makes more sense that the world that they're describing in First Genesis was more of a phenomenological um, world. That's some, some of a, something of a world that they would describe from what they were seeing and not actually based on science. Okay, and there's this there's this idea of socialism or communism, this idea of this political utopia described by Carl Jung, I think, this clinical psychologist. And it said that if you have people, if you get together people and you gave you gave them nothing and they you gave them nothing else to eat except for cake because cake is really good. And then you have you, and then they have nothing else to do but to busy themselves by sitting in warm warm pools and the continuation of the species. So they have no responsibility. They can eat whatever they want. They're not really doing anything. After about the first week, they would go and they would smash everything up just so that something unexpected would happen. So. There's kind of like this idea of socialism that you could just give everyone the thing that they need or want and then things would be all peachy. But they wouldn't be because it's not human nature to have that much that much order in a way. Order as in having nothing else to do, nothing ex- unexpected happen. No aim that you're trying to aim at. No target that you're trying to aim at. And then they'll get super bored and they'll just break stuff so that something unexpected would happen. Just so that they would have something interesting to do. Because we're, as as humans, we're not adapted to security and utopia. We want one foot in chaos and the other foot in order. Because that's when we're alert and we're alive and we're tense. And that's where knowledge wisdom come from too much chaos anxiety too much order is boredom so there has to be this middle ground where you can actually grow and experience life in a way that that isn't conducive to boredom or anxiety and you also want to be in a place where your like physiology isn't out of control and is it into the unknown where you're uh, unknown where you're updating yourself so you don't want to be in place of high anxiety and complete chaos all around you something unexpected happens at every second and your entire world is constantly being tormented and shattered in a million pieces Okay, and what happens is that we are completely interested by something that that is by something is that we are in the right place. Okay, I have no clue where it's going. Okay, so you may ask yourself, like, what are you trying to do? 
And then you ask yourself this because all human life is involves suffering. But there are certain modes of living that make the suffering tolerable, tolerable and even more than tolerable. Some, some sort of life that you would want to live even though that it involves suffering. And in a, a way of life that makes suffering important and useful. And that, and that suffering is a good thing in a way. That there are ways that we can make. So in, in, in any situation that you can act out, there's a way that you, you can act out the situation poorly. That would make the situation worse. There are also ways that you can act in a situation that would make the situation good. And then there are other ways that in this situation that you can make them incredibly much, much, much worse. So there's this question in the Bible that, that answers this question of, is there a way that can make your situation much, much better? And the Bible kind of addresses and tries to answer that question. And one of the most profound human instincts is that we try to find someone that um, we look up to and admire. And someone who can bear the being of reality and suffering. So we try to imitate that, especially if we're suffering, so we can kind of learn to, to stop our suffering and slow our suffering in a way. And we can use this as uh, the Christian example, using Christ as a, as kind of the archetypal um, kind of story in this case, that he was the one who pretty much suffered the most, yet was able to bear the being of reality and that suffering. And I, I once had a religious um, leader say, he, he completely and fully believed that the world was only 4,000 years old. And that blows my mind because that number comes from the Bible. Okay? And if you believe the world is 4,000 years old from this day, that makes no sense. Because the Bible is hundreds of thousands of years old. So technically, the world, if that was the case, would be hundreds of thousands of years old plus 4,000 because the world in your perspective isn't 4,000 years old and there's no way you can say that it is because that would go against science and it would even go against the bible itself because the bible was written like hundred like at least 150,000 years ago it was <laughs> and we know for a fact that the Bible is much older than 2000 BC. Much, much older than that. Because even in the Bible, there, there are some dates in the Bible that can tell you that predate 2000 BC. Even in the Bible that those religious leaders were looking at, it said that like it was 10,000 BC. So it just blows my mind that they think the world is only 4,000 years old. Does the world just not age or something? Does time just not exist for them? I don't know. It would have to not exist for that, that theory to work. 
So if you want to be a ruler, a leader, or a CEO, then you have to have like the wisdom that illuminates the darkness. You need the power, but not in the tyr- tyr- tyrannical way of pe- how people view power, but more of an authoritative way of competence and competence used as power. So conf- competence can be critical thinking, speaking, and writing. That's a competent person. And authority is that you have knowledge in that field and experience in that field. And then wisdom to apply all of those. That's what makes you a good leader. A good leader isn't tyrannical that has employees that he uses as slaves. But a good leader has the majority of the knowledge, high competence, and can use that knowledge to better the company or better the situation and there's this aim there's this ideal person that that you know you could be if you reached your full potential we know it's there and then a good aim to have for this ideal is that when you look back at your deathbed you can say that you made the better you made the world a better place than what you left it which i think is a incredibly useful ideal to have and i think i think that's probably one of the best aims that you can have in your life because then it's no novel your life becomes more novel it isn't i'm just going to work for myself so i can have enough money to pay my bills but it's i want to make a difference in the world i want to stop diseases i want to end suffering i want to i want to help people and their suffering. And why do you need profound knowledge? You need profound knowledge because life is a profound problem. And to solve this profound problem, you need answers, or not answers in a way, but just knowledge that kind of kind of demonstrates life in a way that you can understand. And there, the, something really interesting is that hundreds of millions of people go to the, was it Christine Chapel in Rome, to look at look at these paintings by Mag- Michelangelo on the on the ceiling because these paintings feed the soul. And the idea that God is old and ha- and has a body isn't primitive because when you die, the theory is. As Christians believe it, you get resurrected. So there's a significance to the physical body, and you just can't leave it behind. So you can't just abandon this body that you have. You can't just forget all about it, that it's with you, and that you really need to try to improve it and better it. Because there are three basic wants that everyone needs or wants. They want to be healthy or fit, they want to be wealthy, and they want to be happy. So to get those things, you, at least the healthy part and the happy part, you can't just leave your body behind. You have to take it with you. You have to learn to love your body. And there's also this idea in the Bible that God takes um, day seven to rest from 
the other six days of creation of the world. And this is significant for the people who are workaholics. Because if you're working 80 hours a week, then you can't, you can't be working like 150 hours a week. Because if you're working 150 hours a week, two weeks later, you're going to end up in a hospital bed. Because you've overworked yourself and you're going to be seriously ill from working that much. So there's got to be a point of where rest becomes optimal for working harder throughout the week. And then you take this you take this time to rest so that you can come back ready to work harder. And that doesn't just mean that it's the seventh day of the week. It could mean that you just take a few hours out of your day to rest. And not not sleep, not sleep in a way. Sleep is like healing. But other than sleep, you take time out of your day to rest. And the idea of the Holy Spirit as represented as the dove in the Bible, is one of the closest interpretations of what disembodied consciousness is. Yep, and I don't know what the heck that means. So yeah, those were were my biblical notes in oral form from um, Jordan Peterson's lectures on YouTube. And... Naval, Naval, something, Naval Rav Kant. He's got some philosophy. He's this silicon um, tech guru who has a really good philosophy on life. I'm just going to go over some of the few notes that I wrote about this guy. And it says that if you're unhappy, you have to look at the underlying desires of why you're unhappy. So, everyone has desires you have to have desires because you have a mission you have an aim that you're trying to aim at in life but you shouldn't have too many desires like my coffee is too hot my coffee is too cold there's trash everywhere i don't like her i don't like him i'm judging you i'm judging him you shouldn't pick up these desires unconsciously and pick your one overwhelming desire that you can be stressed about and then let the others go so that you can be calm and relaxed and doing that will also allow you to do a better job at the desire that you're trying to aim for and if you want to be an effective person in business you really need a clear calm and collected mind because this person will make better decisions and will have ultimately better outcomes So if you're super anxious all the time, super worried about everything, you'll make rash decisions that won't really help you. But if you have a clear, calm, and collected mind, then it'll definitely help you because you'll make better decisions and have better outcomes. And it's totally fine that you have um, (laughs) a red, oh, your, your leisure time. Because if, if you say that you can't have your leisure time, then you may fly off the rails. So just having that little bit of leisure time for yourself is completely fine. So that it doesn't help you fly off the rails. And there's this idea that what you do, how you do it, and who you do it with is a lot more important than how hard you work. 
because I know in business there's there's this kind of stigma of having to work like 80 hours a week to have any sort of real progress but the thing that matters most is what you do how you do it and who you do it with and you want to train intellectually like how an athlete trains you want to train hard you want to sprint and then you want to rest then you get your feedback loop from what you learned and then you go out and do it again so that's really how you train as a as an intellectual like people aren't people aren't made to work a nine to five every single day like efficient people have like their most high productivity in like a span of like three or four hours so they have this three or four hour span of when, when they're hyper produ- productive but after four hours or three hours then they become less and less productive as time goes on so if you were to hire someone like in a job as an employee and work them super hard like how they want it to be work worked for their pay for three or four hours that could be even more productive than only having them having them there for like nine or ten hours and Naval Rav Kant he believes that in 50 or 100 years everyone will be working for themselves so this there's this idea that the information age is going to reverse the in industrialization age so when people were hunter hunter and gatherers they were individual hunters hunting for their own food yet working for a common goal which was the family unit and the same is true for business that in the future people will be doing individual creative things maybe even like a thousand people um, researching on their own for one particular study or cause and if if someone can tell you what time to go to work what to wear you're not a free person and you're not rich so there's this idea of um, flexibility and doing your own creative pursuits and rich people they don't they don't go to a job at a certain time rich people aren't told what to wear rich people have this flexibility in their time and schedule and that's really what we should be aiming at and I do believe that in the entire society that we live in can change its ways that we can all have these individual creative pursuits and then there are definitely people out there who are like no because people have to work at a register and People have to work at McDonald's because how else am I going to get my morning coffee? People have to work at Starbucks. And I'm like, no, like, if we all work together, we all learn about engineering and science. We could autonomize easily all of these things. There wouldn't be a need for minimum wage jobs. A lot of these awful jobs can be... Um, autonomized and society would work just as well and then we would have more time for creative pursuits and then yeah I I don't really see the entire society collapsing 
when things are autonomized because then we have robots like doing the dirty work which is how it really should be and things would be much cheaper the only thing that would cost money is obviously the the energy production but we could even autonomize like robots for that like what what do we do as a such as a society when we have no work that we need to do do we just we do our own creative pursuits things that really interest us i don't know it's an in interesting idea and there's also this idea that with your social media that you're really looking at how other people are looking at you you're not really looking at how you look at yourself so when you post something you're you're kind of signaling in a way you're signaling to someone else that hey look i have a girlfriend hey look i went to starbucks hey look this happened you're not really like looking at yourself like like how you should be you're really looking at ho how other people look at you you're like oh i went on a morning run it was great and then you kind of flex in a way and yeah that wraps it up that's a lot of that's a lot of information i'll probably just put this on the on the podcast site because why not not getting anywhere with it anyways so might as well just have it up there <laughs>